Well, it's great to see each and every one of you. I'm just going to scroll a minute here just to look at all your fantastic faces. Some of you are hiding. You've got your uh, video cut off. I'm sure you're probably uh, just walking around in your boxers or your, you know, whatever. And um, that's comfortable for you, so appropriate. Um, for the rest of us, uh, uh, and for all of us, I just want to say a special welcome. I am so happy you're here, and um, uh, this is a uh, this is a a, a difficult uh, time for all so many of us. And at the same time, we have this moment right here, right now. And I have said this several times: this moment right here, right now, <clears throat> is what matters. And to live in the present is really difficult when we've got a whole lot of stressors around us. So, uh, but we're here, you're here, and, um, and we're together. And we will be together in a short while too, because we're going to be going to Salem Willows and Danielle will tell us a little bit more about that at the end of our time together. And I look forward to that for those of you who are local. Uh, for those of you who are at a distance, we are going to have you in our hearts with us as we gather together. Um, today, I want to talk about uh, these, this next section. Uh, for those of you who have been with us, we've been working our way through Leviticus by looking at the different sections and asking ourselves two main questions. What is the transcendent message, meaning the message that was there then, but perhaps in seed form? And what is it, uh, and how has it developed and become really more powerful for us today? And then what is the transcendent need that we can relate to that was uh, there for, uh, for the ancient people that is still here for us? And those two, of course, work together because the ancient need um, is addressed by this ancient message. And the ancient message has a lot of cultural baggage with it that we wouldn't bring into today, but it has this seed that was there that's a transcendent truth. And that is always there. And that's the way we treat scripture. Um, <clears throat> Leviticus has these sections, and we've talked about two of them. We're on our third one. This one is perhaps even more difficult. And so we'll work through it. Next week will be a nice because we're going to talk about the atonement. And that has a lot of uh, stuff in the New Testament that we can look at. But today's talk is on this, this, uh, this, this section called Purity Code or Purity Laws or simply clean and unclean. Um, that's a section that's <clears throat> actually titled that way in the Bible, clean and unclean. And this takes place in Leviticus um, 11 to 15. And I don't think I sent this out to, to you last week, but there's also a section from 18 through 20. And because I didn't send that out to you, and most of you perhaps didn't read 18 through 20. I'm going to read chapter, a part of chapter 19 for us this morning, um, because 19 is really uh, where a lot of that transcendent message is located in, in, in very explicit ways. Um, so uh, this uh, section is on, as I said, clean and unclean, and it covers foods that are good or bad for these ancient Jewish people, what to do about disease, what to do about bodily fluids, lovely topic, dinner conversation, uh, the mixing of fabrics, and sexual ethics. 
Um, and so there's some real clear examples in there. If you have read it, by the way, how many of you dared to read Leviticus 11 to 15? How many here did it? You, you knocked it out. Oh, yeah. Very proud of you guys. Very cool. Not an easy section. <laughs> that is for sure. Um, so, yeah, there's stuff like don't eat bacon. Or, you know, don't eat pork. But, yeah, d yeah, I mean, pork is uh, so bacon or uh, sausages uh, would not be allowed. Um, strange uh, things like women are unclean during their period. Um, don't wear clothing with two fabrics like polyester and cotton. Um, so there's a whole lot of these that are very cultural and uh, very difficult to work through. So as I said, the way we look at this is we look for the transcendent message, the transcendent need. Um, and the transcendent message is actually found here in Leviticus chapter 19. In Leviticus 19, and let's take a look at it. If you have your Bibles or you have that, you know, on your phone or on your iPad or whatever device, if you want to look at Leviticus chapter 19, and we're going to look at verses 9 through uh, 18. So 9 through 18. And this is where you start to see, as I said, some of the transcendent message in more explicit terms. So verse 9, when you reap the harvest of your land, do not reap to the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Do not go over your vineyard a second time or pick up the grapes that have fallen. Leave them for the poor and the foreigner. I am the Lord, your God. So you see that? Does it, that, that's, that's, that speaks of something, doesn't it? That can transcend right to today. That care for the poor, right? Um, there's all sorts of excuses. Like, like sure, certainly the ancients could have made those and said, well, look, these people, you know, they didn't, uh, they're, they're, they're poor because of their own doing, right? Mismanagement of money, um, of resources. Um, it's, their own, it's their own fault. And certainly that could be very well true. Right, but there's this other message. It's always with that, and calls for wisdom. How do you do, you know, boundaries and accountability plus mercy and compassion? Right. So Leviticus 19:9, verse 11: Do not steal. Do not lie. Right. These are familiar to a lot of us because they're in the Ten Commandments. Do not deceive one another. Do not swear falsely by my name, and so profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. Do not defraud or rob your neighbor. Do not hold back wages of a hired worker overnight. Do not curse the deaf or put a stumbling block in front of the blind, but fear your God. I am the Lord. You see, you see the father's heart here. God being like, these are my kids. Like, <laughs> you know, don't mess with them. Don't pervert justice. Do not show partiality to the poor or favoritism to the great, but judge your neighbor fairly. Do not go about spreading slander among your people. Do not do anything that endangers your neighbor's life. I am the Lord. Do not hate a fellow Israelite in your heart. Uh, rebuke your neighbor, frankly, so you will not share in their guilt. Do not seek revenge or bear, grudge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. All right? So this is where 
uh, you get the teachings all the way into the New Testament where Jesus is confronted and asked a question. Jesus, how do you sum up the law? All these laws, the Levitical laws, the Deuteronomy, uh, laws in Deuteronomy, how do, you, how do you sum them all up? And what is Jesus' response? Love the Lord your God, right? First he starts with the Shema, which was familiar to the Jewish nation, you know, Lord your God is one. But then he says, love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself. And one of the religious leaders says, well said, you're right. That is how it's summed up, right? Because it wasn't original to Jesus. There were other teachers prior to Jesus who had said the same thing, that the, that the, that the commands, all the commands have the one trajectory of aiming us to be more loving. So back to Leviticus, back to these purity laws, back to these codes that are strange. We don't understand them because we weren't in there and we weren't there. We weren't in their day. We don't understand how it helped move people towards loving God and loving neighbor. So those we have to sort of just hold in that tension of just, I don't know. But certainly, I'm not going to stop wearing a polyester and cotton blend because Leviticus says not to, right? And I'm not going to ask the women in our church to stay away from their husbands or their or male friends because you just had your period. Um, that that wouldn't work, right? So that just, these are these are very deeply contextualized, and there are reasons for them that we don't understand today. There's also perhaps, um, as we understand now, there's some ancient ways of thinking about things that modern science has moved us on from that we understand aren't um, the way it was once perceived, and so now we understand things like eating certain foods were perceived to be <clears throat> uh, to perhaps have caused more disease among people. And so you stayed away from those. So some of this was definitely for their health benefit. But the idea was that it's for you to be healthy and it's for you to treat one another with love. So everything in Leviticus somehow points to this loving God and loving neighbor. Does that make sense so far? Okay, I'm tr I want to make sure I I keep the cookies on the bottom shelf, make them accessible. And Leviticus is not one that makes it easy to do that. <laughs> so I'm struggling myself at, at sometimes looking at some of these laws saying, wow, these are weird, right? But I do know that all of them somehow fit within that commandment of loving God and loving neighbor. So this um, section, um, I'm going to take one thought out of this uh, 11 through 15 and 18 through, uh, through 20. I'm gonna take one concept here that is the, one of the bigger ones that's addressed even, by, um, even in the New Testament and by Jesus. And, and that's the one on, um, on skin diseases. And so this, the, the, the big idea there that I'm, that I'm communicating this morning is that healing, that's the topic, that's the big idea, healing, uh, somehow triumphs over punishment, healing over punishment, redemption over rejection, healing over punishment and redemption over rejection. And everything that is in here in Leviticus is for the purpose of moving 
the people towards greater understanding of redemption, God's heart to redeem and to bring back, not to cast away. And yet in Leviticus, there is a casting away that is clear. There's no doubt. There's, there's passages there in Leviticus that it seems like, you know, they're understanding God to say that if someone commits a certain sin, they're to be cast away and pushed out, right? That's in there. But then you have also these wonderful redemptive sections, like on skin diseases, where the idea is to bring people back into the fold once they are healed. But this seed, it was seed in seed thought in a culture that still thought that purity meant pulling away from people and pulling away from that which could make you unclean. What we understand in the teachings of Jesus is how does, un, how does that work? How does that really work according to Jesus? Jesus says, using Levitical law, he says, it's not what goes into your mouth that makes you unclean. How many of you have heard this and remember this? It's what comes out of you that makes you unclean, right? So Jesus flips that and says, There's, there was a small understanding of this in Leviticus, but now we really understand it's not about cutting off and pushing away people, so thus making yourself pure. But we tried that. And what did what happened for Israel? They became even worse and worse and worse because they weren't treating the true source of impurity. And that's oftentimes what's located within us, our own vices, our own passions, our own issues, right? Our own challenges. So healing is the focus. So when we look at Leviticus 13, uh, verses one through three, the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, when anyone has a swelling or rash or shiny spot on their skin, that may be a defiling skin disease, they must be brought to Aaron, the priest, or to one of his sons who is a priest. The priest is to examine the sore on the skin. And if the hair on the sore has turned white and the sore appears to be more than skin deep, it's a defiling skin disease, meaning it'll spread. When the priest examines that person, he shall pronounce them ceremonially unclean, right? So what I want to say is that the first thing towards healing that's very important is for us to be able to name the problem. Right? Without naming the problem, um, we can't address it. So there's fear a, a lot for a lot of folks and that naming it or focusing on the problem, particularly when you're in a personal conflict with someone. Um, sometimes there's a desire to avoid and to kind of sweep things under the rug and not deal with it. And it's much easier to deal with, to do that and, and initially uh, until the rug has this huge lump over it underneath it that you keep tripping over and then you have to deal with the issue, right? But you have to name it in order to, to heal it. Right? So, so there's, a, there's a confrontation, there's a foe facing the issue uh, to be able to heal it, right? But it, there's also a, um, a focus that the goal and the ultimate goal is not to name it so that you can reject it so that you can reject the person so that you can punish the person so that you can vilify the person and make them the problem. The goal is you surface it, you name it so that it can be healed, so that there can be ultimate redemption. Are you with me? Everything is about redemption. Everything is about healing, right? And the idea of healing in the scriptures is that of total healing. So the word salvation you're all familiar with that word salvation. <clears throat> salvation has often thought that you pray a prayer and your soul <clears throat> is saved. 
I even hear pastors sometimes use that language, um, you know, your soul, uh, soul salvation. But it's not soul salvation. There's no such concept. That's Greek thought. That's the ancient Greeks thought during the time of Jesus thought that when you died, your soul would be free from this, this ugly, messy physicality, and you'd be free and you'd be floating and you'd be wonderfully pure. That's the way the Greeks thought. And that's where we get our thinking about soul salvation. But that's not the ancient Jewish thought or biblical thought. Salvation, soter, the Greek word soter, means complete and total healing. Healing of mind, your mental struggles, your pain, your psychic pain, the pain you feel from past events that, that, that affect your emotions, emotional healing, right? Physical healing, complete and total healing. And it doesn't stop there. Social the entire social system being healed, how we interact with each other, our politics being healed, our, our planet being healed, right? The whole entire idea, the, the, this is the reason why we have the end of Revelation, where there's a what? A new heavens and a new earth. Everything is redeemed. Everything is brought back. Everything is healed. That's the trajectory. But we have to start by naming it, by being able to say, this is that. There's a problem. There's an issue. How many of us are avoidant of the problems that we know we need to deal with? <laughs> How many of us avoid and avoid and avoid until you can't, right? So there's a lot of us that do that. So that's where, you know, naming the problem and dealing with it then allows us to move towards healing. And that's exactly what is here in chapter 13, there's a naming of it. There's, it's, it's even formal. I mean, you come before the priest and the priest examines you and, and you know, it's an, it's an ancient form of going to the doctor, you know, and, 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 uh, and having to deal with uh, whatever's going on. The second point I wanna make about this, which I've already made. So first is naming it. The second one is, um, is this idea of redemption or redeeming over rejecting. And this is in 14, uh, chapter 14, verses 1 through 2. And you see this uh, throughout the, the chapter uh, 14. The Lord said to Moses, these are the regulations for any diseased person at the time of their ceremonial cleansing, when they are brought to the priest. All right. So this is the assumption that when a person is healed, meaning that it should happen, they should be healed, that the whole entire process of quarantining the person with a skin disease and and all this stuff that went into it was for the goal of healing these are the regulations for any diseased person at the time of their ceremonial cleansing meaning when they have been healed of the skin disease and then he goes on to describe what has to be done um <clears throat> jesus um, in the, there's a story in the book of Leviticus chapter five, or excuse me, Luke chapter five, where um, a man with leprosy comes to Jesus and falls on his knees and says, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Okay. Now Jesus is a, is very much living out Levitical uh, principles. I mean, this is the, all the, all the Jewish people at that time did, they were still following the Levitical law. So Jesus, according to his rich understanding of Leviticus, looks at this man and instead of saying to him, listen, you need to quarantine and continue to quarantine until if by perchance you get healed and hopefully you do get healed and God heals you. 
right? Because the goal is for you to be healed and then be able to come back into the community. But not all skin diseases got healed, right? Not in the ancient world. And so um, you didn't want to touch one or you would become unclean. Remember, Jesus says, it's not what goes into you that makes you unclean, it's what comes out. So Jesus already started to shift how we think about being clean and what makes you impure. So Jesus touches the man with leper, leprosy. And the reverse of him becoming unclean is that the man becomes clean, right? The man is healed, right? So the language of clean and unclean, when Jesus says you are clean, right? It's because he's, he's, he's a Levitical thinker. Like he's thinking from, he's very informed by this. So he's using that language. And then he says, go show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifices Moses commanded you to offer, right? So he's following it right through, except that he has changed something. And that little thing that he's changed is rather dramatic. <laughs> like you're not supposed to touch lepers or you're unclean, but instead Jesus touches him and he's cleaned. And then the man goes and tells everybody, even though Jesus said, please don't do that. He goes and tells everybody. So now there's this confusion. Well, wait, Jesus has apparently cleaned the man, so he can't be unclean if he's cleaned him. So, um, so that's, a, that's the, the, the change, right? But what does that tell us about us and our, our ministry, what your ministry and mine is as it relates to this healing? is that we do the same. We can do the same. We're invited to not only see the problem and name the problem, but also to be part of the process of healing. There's no longer a standing back and waiting for God to intervene and show up. Remember I said that last week, oftentimes we pray prayers to God. I think God prays prayers right back to us. Like, great, I'm glad you've asked me for that. That's wonderful. And now I want you to go and be the healing agent because you're my body, you're the body of Christ. So uh, I have to regularly ask myself, in what way am I uh, part of the healing movement? When I think of politics right now, I get angry. I have a lot of irritations and frustrations with certain people or, or you know, in, in politics, political figures. Um, and, um, and I have to ask myself, in what way is what I'm about to do or say going to be either naming the problem, which needs to be done in confrontation, that needs to be done. Some of us avoid that. I don't want to deal with anything. I just want to be a healing agent. Well, you can't be a healing agent unless you know what the problem is. You have to name it. And then you can say, okay, now let's get to healing. Let's get to making this world a better place. Let's get to fixing this thing. This is the reason why. It's not about being nice. It's never been about being nice. Nor is it about being rude. <laughs> it's never been about being rude. It's about love and truth. And so sometimes naming it can be very uncomfortable. But when it comes from a place of deep compassion, people will know because your heart will feel it. And Jesus was always moved by compassion. And so even when he speaks the truth, it's from a place of compassion. And it's for the purpose of ultimately bringing everyone back home. It's always been about that, redemption and healing. Lastly, um, we need to destigmatize. <clears throat> Um, whatever has taken place, whatever illness has, has been done or has happened to a person, whatever the problem is, whatever the sin is. The third thing that I need to see here is that there's a destigmatization of it by a public declaration. In chapter 14, verses 19 through 20, then the priest is to, uh, is to sacrifice the sin offering and to make atonement for the one to be cleansed from their uncleanness. 
After that, the priest shall slaughter the burnt offering and offer it on the altar together with a grain offering and make atonement for them. And they will be clean. What I love about that is that there's a declaration. There's a statement that is made. Just as we um, uh, just read from uh, or quoted from Luke chapter 5. That Jesus declares the man clean. And sometimes we get stuck ourselves. Either by stigmatizing ourselves or carrying that, that stigma of the past. Or seeing other people through that lens. And what I love about healing is it's total. It's like, not only are you healed of that, but even the stigma around it, even the way I might feel about you, you know, it, it's like, I'm going to keep my distance. Right? This, this still, it's funny. We still have that, that emotion that's called disgust, right? It's, a, it's, a, it's actually really helpful to, to preserving us because disgust kept us from uh, doing things that, uh, you know, could, could endanger our lives, like eating certain foods that would be dangerous to us in, the ancient, in our ancient times. But that disgust factor can also mean that if someone has done a particular sin that seems to us really bad or disgusting, that we would also, even if they're forgiven and they're coming back, that there's even wanting to keep a, a certain measure of distance from them. And in the ancient Israelite times, it was that once the skin disease is healed, you are declared clean as if you had never been sick to begin with, and you're welcomed back into the community. So the questions that I wrap up with are, in what way am I part of a healing movement? In what way am I part of destigmatizing what I've been through, uh, just shedding that stigma around that, and then what other people have been through. Am I part of healing and redemption? And so you name it, and then you ask God, talk to God about it, and then see what can I do to be part of that healing. And once in some small way, how can I be part of healing? And how can I be part of full redemption which is to remove even the stigma from that sin, from that disease, from that behavior.